Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today's co-host is... It's your boy. <laughs> <laughs> what's up, George? Hey, what's going on? Um, how was your, uh, uh, your weekend? You just had a weekend, right? You had a couple days uh, off? Yeah, it was good. Um, what did I do Saturday? I think... Hmm, I forget what I did Saturday, but Sunday went out to uh, the Prescott National Forest... And I uh, found out, you know, it's closed because of the government shutdown. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, me and uh, my dog Piddles, <laughs> <laughs> we took a little hike into the uh, gold panning area, the public uh, gold panning area down there, and uh, just to do a little hiking around, uh, just doing a little recon, seeing maybe when it gets a little warmer out, doing some gold panning. I got my kit ordered, and um, it's coming this week, so... I'm looking forward oh, to... Oh, oh, you got your... Uh, treasure hunting. Treasure hunting kit. Yeah. I like that, man. I uh, So I, I actually hit the trails too and found an old... Um, so in the, in Arizona, you can you can claim... Um, you can do a... What is it? Mining claim. And you can fence it off and do all this stuff. But it's almost like if you're in the middle of nowhere and you set up a mining claim... And you and you put anything there, and it's just like a fence. That's like advertisement to come oh, pay yeah. your gold. So I was just driving around. I found a whole bunch of those in the backwoods of Williamson, which is beautiful, um, northern Arizona. And then I actually found where a guy was just digging out stuff, and he had hoses and stuff attached. But it was just I just dug just to see if I could pan and find any flakes or anything. But yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, it's uh, fun though. You know, I, I watched some videos of people going down into the um, the area I was at, and uh, you know, they pulled out some flakes. So we'll see. I mean, it's a fun hobby. It is. So. I, I want to say that first. This is the last episode of 2018, and by the time you listen to this, it will be 2019. Mm-hmm. So this is the first first podcast of the year, and. I, you know, it's an amazing opportunity to uh, talk about some stuff, you know, talk about some stuff that happened in 2018, but also uh, highlighting the 18, talking about how we can make 2019 better. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. 2019 is going to be a big year for us. So we're just going to fill you guys in on the plans and hopefully, you know, it works out. We'll see. Hopefully. Hopefully. Inshallah. You know, you know hope is in the course of action. I got it. But, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this weekend was a good weekend and then, um, got to, uh, mess around, hit the trails and dude, I, oh, I forgot to tell you, I did the shooting stuff. Oh, Saturday. Yeah, I you missed to tell you Saturday. So Saturday I finally got every, uh, cardboard box out of my house. I finally <laughs> unpacked and were moved in finally. So it was a great feeling cause the house is all put together and it's just very comfy and cozy. Just. I was rummaging through your stuff when I was <laughs> doing the house checks when you're at the hospital with your baby boy. <laughs> Yeah. And it looked like a uh, a military standard house, like yeah. military issued. Oh yeah, um, but it's actually a cool little house. You got a cool house. Yeah, thanks. Next That's... year though is the year. Oh, this year, so 2019 is the year for new house. Or are you waiting another? So year? we're gonna. So I don't think we can extend on our lease for this house. So we're probably gonna have to find like a. We're probably gonna have to buy. It, I think yeah. we're gonna have to. That's a good idea. I just, I'm, I'm done. I don't like renting. I, I'm not a big fan of rent. Well, I do have a rental, and it's amazing. Um, because it's cheap, but it's in the middle of the country, but it's time. 
Yeah, it's, it's time. I want to put roots down and be my forever home. Like I, I don't, I do I'm too. done moving around. I am too, man. I'm so. fucking done. Prescott, um, don't come to Prescott, but Prescott's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, very nice. It's very, very nice. So Saturday I was shooting with the guys, Grant, um, uh, all the buddies in Prescott, and guys, guys from Recoil Magazine, uh, photographers, all kinds of good dudes. And I was out. And we were out basically in Williamson in the middle of a ranch property shooting and stuff. And I was talking to Scott from Overland Journal. He's a buddy of mine. And I'm doing this whole go rig thing. You know this. Like mm-hmm. you're, we're, we're talking about it on a daily basis. But a lot of things have occurred to me. You know, we talked about it in the last podcast. Um, this fuel consideration is a huge consideration. And just, I think, everyday preparation. Because, you know, if you live in a place like the city, for example, if you live in San Francisco or just any major epicenter, um, the gas stations are all over the place. But the the crazy thing is the population, the reason there's so many gas stations is because of the cre- increased population in the city. So what I always thought about is, hey, what happens when the gas can't get resupplied? Well, in the short term, because they have gas in their fuel tanks, Obviously, there would be lines out the door for for fuel, and then everybody's going to be lined up, and then it's going to eventually get to the point where there's no more fuel, and then they have to wait on the resupply. Well, there's no resupply, you have what you have. And so when I'm thinking about this, if you guys are just tuning in, I'm doing a Go Rig Challenge, which is called the Northern Border Run. On the Northern Border Run, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, Scott said uh, I might be writing... Uh, articles for this whole entire experience on Expedition Porter, which would be really cool. Um, we'll, we'll we'll solidify that. I won't. I don't want to make any promises, but I, either way, it will be covered via blog, via social media. Um, the blogs on PhilCraftSurvival.com, social media at PhilCraftSurvival at Philcraft Mobility, and then all across all of our social media handles. But anyways, if you're just tuning in, the Go Rig Challenge is basically I'm taking our PhilCraft company truck, a 2015. Toyota Tacoma, and I am going to drive it from Prescott, Arizona, 1,370 miles to the northern border of Canada. And I'm going to see if I could do that with no uh, additional support or infrastructure, meaning no gas stations, uh, no pit stops, no hotels, uh, no fuel stops, obviously, um, and do it without a map. Uh, or I'm sorry, without GPS, using a map, um, and sustaining life, and uh, all self-sustaining. So carrying my own fuel, carrying my own water, carrying my own food, carrying everything it takes to live, and seeing if I can make it to the border. Well, the dilemma that we ran into is it's 480 uh, pounds is your limit of fuel, which I think is 60-something gallons, it turns out to be. So I got an email from uh, Michelle Schwartz, and she uh, basically shared a formula, which kind of we were talking about the formula and what we needed. So she said, you know, you take your trip distance, divide it by your miles per gallon, and that's going to get your gallons needed to complete your distance. Yep. Then she said, uh, gallons times 6.3 pounds, that's, you, that will equal your total weight capacity. Okay, wait, wait, let's do the first one first. She said, okay, so it's 1370, and I've already know this math, but I'm going to do it just for the the podcast, 1370 divided by, let's just call it, thir- let's call it 14 miles per gallon. That's 97 gallons, which was, which is, uh, let's just call it six pounds per gallon times mm-hmm. six. 
I'm at 587 pounds. Yeah. So he said, so if you're traveling roughly 1,000 miles and get 13 miles per gallon, that's about 77 gallons of fuel required. Yep. And then uh, 77 gallons multiplied by 6.3 yep. gets you your pounds. So Yeah. I'm looking at 600 pounds of fuel. Yeah. So you can only carry 480. So here's what I considered, and I've already hit some people up, is uh, I'm going to have to get resupplied. I'm going to have to cache. And, you know... I, I was talking the, uh, about this with Scott from Overland Journal. The thing about caching is it's it's smart to do. I mean, I've done it operationally. Uh, in fact, I, w- I was talking to Scott about an operation I did in Afghanistan. It was kind of like a long-range movement. And in fact, let me illustrate a different point. The Operation Red Wings, the Haas' rescue of Marcus Luttrell and the recovery of the uh, crash site from... Um, uh, the QRF that was shot down trying to rescue Marcus Luttrell. I was involved in my company and special forces was involved in the entire thing. I was there in Afghanistan when it happened. My team was designated as QRF on the outskirts, supporting the QRF that went in. But we monitor, I monitored radio traffic with my team for a week. And those guys on infill, when they got dropped off, they had to make a ground movement, and then immediately started running out of water and immediately ran out of chow really fast because of the elevation mm-hmm. and the severity of the terrain. So they were doing advances with their CDS bundle dropping or basically it's called a speedball where you pack out a kit bag full of water, the essentials, and drop it off on a grid and try to recover as much as you can as a cache point. Well, that's obviously not an option for a civilian, but an option is utilizing your social network in order to facilitate movement, i.e., I'm moving north through Utah, Wyoming, uh, and Idaho, um, all the way up to the Canadian border. So anybody in that area that's a friend of mine, I could preempt and you know set into place a potential cache that they could facilitate. So I think that's a good way of you know operating for this run but also looking at uh long term uh, what i've realized is you can't do it without a network you gotta have a network we get the tribe network we got the tribe maybe they could help out well I, you know i i thought about reaching out to the tribe and the tribe is dispersed all over the place and what one thing i want to do for 2019 this is talking about some of my shortlist stuff is uh, i actually want to set up a I'm going to do it today before I leave. Set up a checklist, start a checklist of all the things that you need to do um, in order to increase your chances of surviving, i.e., all the skill sets that you need, um, you know, mechanics, uh, fishing, you know, agriculture, you know, foraging, bushcraft, and then line those things out as a checklist so you could see where you're at and kind of where you need to be, but also look at your network in the same way. I mean, if me and you don't have the skill sets to do ag, we either need to learn it or we need to find somebody who's capable of doing it. So what skill sets do you have, George? What are you bringing to the table, man? I uh, bring my uh, charming personality. Uh, my, that's morale. That's, my, that counts for something. Negotiating skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I can hunt. I can you fish. You can barter. You can hunt fish. Yeah, I can cook. Yeah, you know, you were telling me about your hunting story, and you did a little blog about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, and you sent it to me a long time ago, and I remember reading it. And it was actually a really good read, but uh, it was your first kill. And something for 2019 is we want to do hunter education, and 
actually teach people not just how to hunt, but how to get a tag, how to get a, a hunter's license, you know, how to get your bow set up, how to get your rifle set up, just the basics that, you know, you're not a Steve Ranella. You're not going to, you know, infiltrate yourself into an epic adventure or journey in the backwoods and have this amazing experience. Um, literally, people sitting on the couch or listening to this podcast don't know where to begin, and we want to do that. But I'm interested to hear about your first kill because, you know, you, you had stated in the blog that it was an impactful experience in your life, and you were just 12 years old, right? 12 or 13. I was young. It was... Let's set the I think stage. I was a let's, freshman in high school. Talk, I think. Let's let's talk it. But maybe I was younger. I don't. I'm not real sure. But it, it was like me, and my brother. We did the hunter's safety course in um, in Steubenville, Ohio, at the Jefferson County Community Colleges that was there. So we had spent this, you know, this entire. I think it was like a a week or maybe a couple of days, and we took the test. We passed it. We went and got our first uh, deer tags. You know, my dad set everything up, so we uh, would always. Um, it'd be the first day of gun season. It was always usually on a Monday, Monday morning. So we'd get out of uh, school that day. So it was like a real big event in our house. Like deer season was an event. Gun season, the first day was everyone's excited. You get all your snacks, you get like your boots, you get your new, your, uh, your new camouflage, you know, you get all set up for your first hunt, your first, you know, your first trip, you know? So it was me, my, me, my dad and my brother. And we'd get up, uh, it was like maybe three, Three thirty, four in the morning. You had to get up early because you know that's what the tradition was. You get up early. You have a good breakfast. My mom made a good bacon, egg, something hearty, and keto. It, mm. And it was you know, and it was freezing. I was I'm in Ohio, so it was always cold, like below freezing. And uh, you know, the weeks before that led up to that, we would go scout our positions and walk the terrain, walk the deer trails, seeing where they would you know where they bed down, where they would walk to get food or you know whatever it is and um so we found our spots and you know it was always this uh it was a place we called it was called seven cricks and uh it was right down from my house and uh you'd have to go back to these back roads drive through some uh some water and then you just park and then there was a big hill called plumber's run and that was like the the it would break you off you know back when i was in like a little kid I mean, that hill broke me off like now i look at it, i'm like oh that's easy so we get it set up and it'd be pitch dark, get in our spot. We'd sit down and just wait and wait and wait. And it was so cold. Like your feet are cold, your hands are cold, but that big buck that came across, that was the, you know, that was, that kept you going. That was your motivation. And, uh, it was probably first in the morning we were in our spot for a couple hours and there was nothing going on. So me and my dad, we're walking down this trail and all of a sudden uh, we hear something. And then all of a sudden there's a, a, a little button buck right out in front of the trail. So I, I had a 20 gauge uh, hinge. I think I forget what the name of the company was, but it was just a single shot 20 gauge. And I, I raised it up, pulled the trigger and boom, uh, you know, after the, what's uh, going through your mind. I mean, like it, this is your first kill, first yeah. hunt, you're a child. And then you're, you see the deer. Do you even aim? Yeah, I aim. I, I, well, I put, you know, I aim. There was like on the the shotgun was like a little, like the front sight post had like a little marble on it, or not a little marble, but like a little ball bearing for the sight, the front sight post. And uh, I just kind of aimed in the direction of the deer, and my dad was like, "Shoot, shoot!" <laughs> so, <laughs> so I you shot, point shot this. I point this. shot it, and I blew. <laughs> 
half its head off. So it's like just, and it just goes down instantly. And it's just like your adrenaline's pumping. So, and you're just like so happy you got, you know, your first deer. And it was just like, oh my God, I did it. I did it, you know, and just everyone's like, you're my dad was so proud. And like, you did the whole, like, get the, uh, the blood and wipe it under your eyes. And, uh, so it was good. We gutted it right there and drag it out. We had to dra- I had to drag it out myself. Cause that was the rule. You shoot it, you drag it out. We drag it out to the truck. And then, uh, after we're all done, we go to, um, the local kind of like, uh, sportsman's trading post place where we go and we get it weighed and tagged and they take your picture on a Polaroid and then they give you one and they post one up on the board. So when people come in, they see your deer. So I was like, you know what? I don't care. I, it's a button buck. My first kill. It, the meat was delicious. So that's all that mattered. Oh, so you got skin it up and ate it and everything else. Oh right? yeah. We ever, we, you know, you, yeah, we get home hung. We uh, just hang, uh, hung it in the garage and skinned it. And then, uh, my grandpa would come down. He was a butcher for Kroger's for like forever. He retired from there. So he'd come down with all of his kid and we had our little knives. So, and he would just help us process the deer and put in the freezer. And that's what we ate off of. So what's your take on hunting? I mean, what's your experiences? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty full circle, uh, experience as far as like the whole process from, you know, from the prep, going to school, getting trained up, doing the hunter safety stuff, and then getting the gun actually, you know, sitting in a position, being uncomfortable, taking the shot, killing an, an animal, harvesting it, and then eating it. What, what, what was, how was that experience for you? I, um, like, so I was obviously, I was young, but the experience as a whole was, was awesome because I got to spend it with my brother and my dad. And I think we had, we always had like a friend that come along. So it was always a good experience. It was always, it was, it was fun for the most part, you know, besides the weather and, you know, you're hungry, you, you constantly want to eat, but, you know, in the end, you like looking back on it now, that's something that you learn, you know, it's a, it's a, something that you always keep with you. So it's a skill that, you know, it's perishable skill because if you don't hunt, you're not going to know what to look for, um, you know, how to even approach the whole hunting game. So I haven't hunted in a while and I'm excited to get back into it, but you just, some of the things you do not forget. And it's just, you'll always remember those, that experience of like, the work you put into it. You, you, not, I didn't realize it back then, but there's a, a lot of work to go into like hunting a deer and killing something and using it, you know, for, for food and, and whatever you want to use it for, you know, um, the other parts. So, yeah, I, I think, um, hunting is very, um, underestimated and, and culture and, you know, people think of hunters, specifically um as like rural you know people that just do their own thing and then you know they they've they've gotten this they've gotten this bad stereotype in cartoons and all kinds of stuff that you know the hunter is the bad guy or the even the the movie the hunter or uh deer hunter um it's portraying hunters as as like some scary ass white dude and my whole thing is uh when you look at our focus this year which is yeah, we haven't let you know, but I'm letting you know now. Is looking at sustainable, renewable survival, which covers food, water, um, you know, how you address the weather, um, preparation that's sustainable, that means something. You have to look at hunting and for and and what it is. I mean, 56 billion farm animal animals in America are slaughtered a year. 56 billion. 
And that number is not decreasing. That number is not going away. And so, you know, when I talk about crickets, when I talk about hunting, when I talk about these things, it's not just because they are they're individual passions of mine, which they are, but it's because I understand uh, the consequence of living in complacency for an extended period of time. Eventually, we will crumble. Uh, eventually, Rome will fall, and we will completely outdo um, our resources, our common resources. And so, for example, if you don't know how to hunt, you know, and you want to be educated, it's it's a fun process to be a part of, but it's also uh, not just uh, uh, it shouldn't be just a niche in your life. It actually should be applied to your life. You know, starting out with like, hey, thirty percent of all the food that you eat should be wild game because you're saving the environment, you're saving yourself, you're you're developing a skill set as well that's going to benefit you in the potential worst case scenario. So uh, this morning, which you guys, by the time you guys are, read, are listening to this, it's it's from yesterday. It, I did an article or did a post on EMP, electromagnetic um, pulse, which is essentially an atomic bomb that detonates using magnetic pulses that basically shuts down. It doesn't basically, it shuts down all the electronic devices, microprocessors, every single thing. Um, in its wave, which is the range is incredible. The higher up you go, obviously, the further reach you have. And I was reading what, what spun me onto it is I've always been interested in EMPs because we've actually studied EMPs as part of counterterrorism and crisis response. Um, I actually have a bachelor's degree in crisis response and homeland security, and EMPs is a big portion of that as far as like threat assessments and mitigating risk against the national security. EMP is one of the biggest threats because. It, it doesn't take, it, it takes a lot, but out of all the things that you could do, it has the most impact long-term. They say that if an EMP went off over the United States, that about 90% of the U.S. population on the East Coast would be dead in a year because it takes about 12 to 18 months estimated based on the a DOD study that to restore uh, electricity. And that people don't realize about DOD or about um, EMP attacks is the fact that the, once an initial EMP uses radioactive waves to uh, uh, you know alter the magnetic field and it disrupts it, other EMP explosions, secondary explosions would take place. And so complete collapse to infrastructure, no electronic devices, no cell phone infrastructure, no hospitals, no banks. Nothing. Anything that you have electronic is dead. Um, batteries, solar power, they could be salvaged. But everything, any car between 1990 and 2000, it's about half and half depending on the vehicle that you have. But any car, car generally um, older than 1990, completely uh, incapacitated. Every aircraft flying in the air, incapacitated. Imagine that. Like, the, Imagine the chaos if one EMP attack took place in the United States. And it doesn't have to be an epic bomb over the country. It can be a small, compact, dirty bomb device in, an, in a uh, city. I mean, if you look at the population, what's the population of, of, of New York City? If you look at the population of, uh, for example, the San, Fr San Francisco Bay Area, you're looking at 7 million people. All vehicles, because they're electronic, 
that have uh, microprocessors would be incapable of, of driving or moving. So you're talking about gridlock with the inability to move uh, or, or for first responders to come in or anything coming out. No aircraft can fly because they all work off the same processes. So then you don't have emergency services. Then you have 7 million people fighting for the same resources, food, water, and shelter. Completely will come uh, turn into the largest man-made catastrophe known to man. The estimates are about after 12 months that 90%, 90% of all uh, the U.S. population will be dead in 12 to 18 months. That's a huge and scary statistic. And so when we when we look at EMP attacks, is it is it realistic? I don't know. I mean, I mean, look at the world that we live in. I mean, the population is growing, right? We're we're going to be at the nine billion people by twenty fifty, and all of our resources are strained. I mean, these are these are not just because you're comfortable in your own skin in your own environment doesn't mean the rest of the world isn't um, in strife. And so, what people don't realize is, you know, they're comf- comfortable in their complacency, and freedom equals that, which is is a is a privilege. Of uh, and a characteristic of freedom, but that could be stripped away instantaneously, and then what you're left with is a complacent society that doesn't even know how to feed itself. I mean, I can't talk, I can't tell you how many people I know that don't even know how to change a damn tire, let alone understand um, what happens when they lose electricity. I mean, it doesn't even have to be an EMP. We we gave the example last time on the Modern Survival podcast. It could just be an outage. I mean, the last time I've seen complete chaos. Uh, I was I was uh, reading a news story about Atlanta when they had like one inch of ice and the entire city shut down. People literally shut down at, on their highway because they had nowhere to go because it was gridlock and basically, you know, were, gave up on themselves inside their vehicles because they, ha- they said they can't move anywhere. They're just wait for a first responder to get to them, i.e. our motto, which is you are your own first response. Nobody's coming to save your ass when shit hits the fan. I promise you that. I promise you that. Um, so what can you do? You know, I, the article that I just, the blog that I just dropped on philcraftsurvival.com on the main page talks about considerations, but in part two of that, we're going to talk about some things that you do, but food, water, heat, networking, there's a whole bunch of things that you can do. Anyways, I go down the EMP train. Um, what are we planning for this year? What are we planning for? Actually, let's talk about 2018 first. 2018. Oh my gosh! I, it's been, it. 2018 went by so damn fast. I don't even know where the time went. So we moved from Colorado to Prescott, Arizona, in June of last year, or, or this year. Um, but last year, by the time you hear this, but I lived in the shop for four months, setting it up, and made sure everything was uh, uh, set up. And I think it's probably the best decision I made business wise for the business. And I came out in July and like, you know, I started cleaning up, you know, before yeah, you did I your little recon yeah. in July. I had to like, I had to seal the deal. I think, you know, I mean, I had to come out and be like, Hey, uh, I'm here. Well, you're like, I'm serious about working for Phil. Crafts yeah. Club. I was dead serious. So then, um, what do we do? Yeah. We, I was there for four, four days in July and I saw the new, the new digs and I was like, okay, this is, this is nice. I can, I can, I can do some shit in here. So, then I did my uh, clearing and the retirement, and it just took forever. 
and then finally I got to get out here on October 15th and then start the journey. So, so when you, uh, before you got set up, we had hired, we hired three Marines, Addison, John and Steve, all Marines, um, and all great workers, all good dudes. But we had a, uh, I had an epiphany. I'm like, well, we talk about everyday carry and we need to be able to, you know, not only communicate con- good content with your everyday carry considerations, but provide the equipment source uh, for some of those things. Like I'll never be a competitive holster guy in the market space. We're not competing with Safari Land and T-Rex and all these guys. But what I realized is, you know, my time contracting with the U.S. government, um, I realized there's uh, minimalist equipment that's needed and everyday carrier because there's a lot of robust over just shit exactly and i'm not you know i'm not gonna name any names but i i, I don't want to buy a holster where i have to like put together all these pieces and then if i want to put it on my belt i gotta take this piece off go buy another attachment it's like come on man yeah well it's a it's a it's a pain in the ass i want i like dual purpose but i also like things that are minimalist and streamlined and, you know, our everyday carry holster are made for Glocks. I mean, why? Because we recommend Glocks. I mean, I carried a Glock 19 um, in the military. I also carried a Glock 17 um, in government service. So they work. Single-action Glock, the most reliable pistol on the planet. Why, Why? you know, why go back and forth? So we decided to streamline it. We, did, we went with the plastic. We got a shop set up. And uh, thanks to Steve Ingenuity and his... Uh, hard work we we got a line of everyday carry concealed holsters out for glock 42 43 glock 19 and 23 and glock 17 slash 22 so when we did that we set it up and we started to uh, look at textiles we dropped our first everyday mobility go bag and if you guys haven't checked it out it's a panel pack which is a patent pending that goes on the back of your seat which is common I mean, you, we, we've ran those kind of setups in GMVs, Humvees, and vehicles overseas. The difference is I didn't want to use Molly. I mean, I've been in about three civilian real-life scenarios where I've had to pull a med kit, and because the med kit was attached to the back of the seat, I had to pull all the contents out, and I couldn't just rip away the kit and run to the disaster or the situation with the kit in hand. So I decided to do Velcro. I mean, we did Velcro on the back of the, the bag, and it, you pull it off, and it converts into a backpack. You know how to do email me and say, oh, it, it's too much. Why would you sell it for that much money? Well, dude, let me. I just want to educate you real quick, and, I, and I'll educate the public just in case people are wondering. Textile manufacturing in the United States of America is super, super expensive, if the if the cost of the bag is too much, then I encourage you to look at the comparables in our market that are the same. I'm not making up these margins. I'm not trying to get over on the the public. I mean, I mean, luckily we've only had one out of thousands, but one guy came out and was like, "It's too expensive," and then you're selling it for ninety nine dollars during a sale. Why would you do that? Well, I'm doing it so you can buy another one for your other seat. And I'm doing it so we can move inventory because we're a business. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. I, yeah, I don't, like, 
I don't understand. Like we're a small business, you know, we, we sell stuff on our website and the price is what it is. We're not trying to, we're not like selling snake oil and, you know, yeah, we're, our, we're, it's just, there's no inflation or tricks <laughs> and ponies. It's just, it is what it is, man. And the, the greatest thing about, and, and I didn't want to get into beef with him. I said, Hey, good luck with your business. Cause he's a small business owner. I said, good luck with your business because it's like, you're a small business owner and you're you're going after me. It was and it and he had this big, long, drawn out explanation. I'm like, dude, I don't I, I don't want to get into it with you because there's no scam going on here. The textile is what it is. It's made in Chicago mm-hmm. by an American company and it's expensive. Textiles in America are expensive. And the greatest thing about a free market and a free capitalistic society is you have the freedom of choice. And if you don't want my bag, go get an Osprey. Oh wait. An Osprey bag is like one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars. Oh wait, every single manufacturer in the U and and they're manufactured overseas. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I digress. We got into the everyday mobility pack and we did uh, a, a few textiles, and we, you know, that, I would call that a success. And then we continued with content, and we did a lot of stuff. Like we did stuff with SDHQ, which is a good, um, the best that we know of. Um, uh, overland slash off-road shop that it does installs, has every single thing you can get for off-road vehicles in Phoenix, Arizona. If you're not following them, follow them at, at, at SDHQ on Instagram. And then um, continue to partner with good businesses uh, for all the things that we had going on. We finished off this year with, uh, luckily, you were, you were able to jump on board the Southern Border Run. Oh, yeah. That was great. I uh, met up with the guys down at Tim Foley's place right on the border and uh, rolled up and they were just in this little wadi just camped out. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, for what Fieldcraft Survival stands for, I mean, I was driving on the road and I just caught a glimpse out of my eye and I was like, oh, there they are. And the tents were set up. We were, they were, and it was everything that Fieldcraft represents in that one picture moment. You had everyone together. Everyone was camping out. Everyone was enjoying that time and you know, it was a great scene to come up, uh, to come upon. So now I, I did enjoy the border run, and, and you know, part of you know leading into what we're doing for 2019, part of what we're doing is trying to educate people. I know, you know, people get emotional when you talk about immigrants and um, when you talk about the border. Anything, I mean, people are f- fucking insane. They get crazy. Well. What I want to do is, in the realm of national security, crisis response, kind of like my honed skill set, I just want to illustrate uh, facts on the ground. And we did that. We tell, tell people about, so we're on the border. If people aren't familiar with it, we're on the border just trying to get confirmation of what's going on. Tell them about the experience with uh, Tim Foley. So uh, we were at Tim Foley's place. He bought, a, uh, he bought a piece of land and set up you know a trailer on there, and he has his own little thing set up on there. And we were in his uh, office in his, in his uh, trailer and he was showing us video, like actual video footage of trail cameras that were picking up. No women, no children. Well, there was one woman, but she was carrying drugs. No women, no children. And it was all males, military age males. And they were moving people, moving dope, whatever it is that they were doing. You saw it on video. It was not... There was nobody holding a video camera, videotaping this. It was a trail cam, so whatever came upon it, it, it videoed. And you saw, then you saw the um, uh, the humanitarian people delivering water on video to these people. And 
I could, I mean, I would understand if it was women and children and they were dying and moving, but these people were like well prepared. They had packs, they had camouflage, they had uh, horses, well maintained horses, AK 47s, M4 rifles. So you're, you're telling me these guys are seeking asylum in the United States? It's just not there. And that's what we saw. I didn't, I'm not saying maybe, you know, somewhere else there's kids and women coming through, but. I saw what I saw with my own eyes and, you know, I can't, you know, say you, it. You can't unsee it. Yeah. So, well, one of the things, and, and I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. If, if there's something that's, uh, if there's information being disseminated through the media, through, you know, entertainment outlets is what they are, then I want to confirm it with my own eyes. I mean, I literally am not comfortable with stating anything outside of facts. One of the things that was uh, criticized that, that we are doing and the only reason I'm saying this is not, I, I really don't care because I, we have a source for it, but I want people to understand the, the, the place in which we come from. There was a stat that was released, I believe, in 2008 where it was comparing statistics of places uh, in, in, the, in America and throughout the world that had the highest rates of kidnapping. And in this, in this statistic, it stated that Phoenix, Arizona which is directly north of Tucson, which is directly, obviously, north of the U.S.-Mexican border, um, had the second highest rate of kidnappings in the world. Uh, compared, And it might have been northern hemisphere. I will give you that. But compare that to, uh, or comparative to uh, Mexico City. Now, Mexico City, if you guys know Mexico City, if you know Juarez, if you know uh, Sinindad, all these... Uh, different cities in Mexico, they have the highest rate of violence in the world, in the free world, outside of, I mean, I mean, more so than terrorist uh, zones. These places have higher um, crime rates. Look up, look up Mexican crime rates um, because they're insane. In fact, 2018 is on par with being uh, higher than uh, uh, prior. But the criticism was, oh, that's not true. Well, let's just say it's not true. The fact that, or the, the criticism what's not true or they, the way Phoenix, Arizona tracks statistics is different. So let's, let's just say it's not for the sake of argument. The fact that Phoenix, Arizona, an American city, is in the top-tiered bracket, top-tiered bracket of kidnappings, period, that should be an indicator that something is wrong. So when you look at that, all the experts that I've talked to, because I'm not talking to myself, I'm not talking to Google, I'm not talking to Wikipedia, I'm talking to Border Patrol agents, I'm talking to law, enforce, law enforcement sheriffs, I'm talking to uh, 10-year veterans of, of, of uh, Maricopa SWAT that all say the same thing, that the cartels, which are from Mexico, okay, the cartels from Mexico are causing strife and crime, and kidnappings, and drug smuggling, and people smuggling all across the United States, and it's starting in Arizona, and Texas has the same story. I have friends in DPS in Texas. Uh, I have friends that are Border Patrol in Texas, and they say the same exact things. I just read a story that 25,000 people in one weekend were, were rolled up coming across the border in Texas in one area, one area that's... Uh, Patrol by Border Patrol. So just taking that information, and you don't even think it's true, but let's just say it's true. Then wouldn't you want to figure out what the fuck is going wrong on the border? Like, 
why would you why would be why would porous borders at all be acceptable? Because I'm you know I'm not saying like I'm I I come from immigrants, right? I I'm I'm literally bred like if I, if my father wasn't in the army and didn't meet my Korean mother in Seoul, Korea, uh, in the '80s, then I wouldn't be here. So I'm an immigrant. I'm not I'm not sweating immigrants because I love the fact that we are a country of immigrants. Like this this white privilege thing, I don't even know what the hell that means because my skin color is white, but I'm not a white dude. George is white, but is he white? Or is he is he a descendant of an immigrant from somebody else? So I understand the immigration uh, beef, but what I don't understand is the harboring of immigrants who commit federal crimes and not allowing that information to be disseminated, which is the case with Corporal Singh, who was just killed in California. The sheriff of Maricopa, I'm sorry, the sheriff of Stanislaus County came out and said his death could have been prevented because he was reported on federal crimes or crimes that he had uh, committed and should have been reported to federal agencies, but because they have the uh, the laws they have in California, um, safe, what is it called, safe... Uh, um. I can't even remember off the top of my head. Uh, safe Haven. Sanctuary. Uh, sanctuary cities. Sanctuary State. Sanctuary State, yeah. Is California. Then they don't have to report it. And so his death could have been prevented. He was shot and killed by a two-time uh, uh, felony offender um, Mexican immigrant. And so I'm. there's nothing against the immigrants in Mexico. There's nothing. What I'm saying is follow the law. And what we saw was damning information that's that should be intelligence that should be disseminated for somebody to do an operation to stop that kind of activity to, to happen if you think that there's not an issue you're in the fucking wrong I, sergeant major mike glover is telling you you're fucking wrong if you think there's not a problem and it's not systemic and it's not causing crime and death and destruction of our communities in america you're fucking wrong you're, you're you're living in a false reality with unicorns and fucking rainbows, pearl unicorns. That's what that's what you're living in. Anyways, we, so we, it wasn't enough that Tim Foley uh, disseminated the information that he had because I was like, you know what? Let's go see for ourselves. Talk to him about uh, we we stopped, pulled off the trail, and then hit the wood line right on the border of uh, U.S. and Mexico. Oh yeah, so we um we basically found this little uh, off road and uh, we. Took all the rigs up there, uh, parked up on this hill, and then basically walked about, I want to say, 200 to 300 yards into the kind of towards the border. I think we were about, what, about a couple miles away, three miles away from the actual border border. But we were at, we there was like this little canyon, little wadi creek thing, and we walked down in there, and we, were, we found, I mean, water bottles, like five-gallon water bottles everywhere. We found backpacks everywhere uh just trash everywhere carpet shoes. carpet shoes everywhere and this and then basically they were where they were at they were in the in an area where nobody would would go like it's you know you set up your orp and you find the most shittiest terrain off the beaten path like thick vegetation and and that's where everything we found where was that it was this thick vegetation low trees um, and they were hiding out there or doing their little supply, re- resupply or whatever they were doing, but there was a lot of trash. And it, well, my whole thing is it, when you say it like that, it, most people would go, oh, what's the big deal? But that's the problem, I think. I think the problem is we have become so um, conditioned 
that it's acceptable for people to cross our border. And that's just, it's kind of a joke, right? Because it's oh, like, I mean, you yeah. pull up in a fucking Lowe's gas station or a, a Lowe's uh, store or a gas station and then 15 Mexican, which I've had happen in Virginia, they jump in the back of your truck and you're like, ah, oh, this is a joke. It's funny. Ha ha. It's been, inter- it's been uh, conditioned in movies and Hollywood and comic skits. I mean, it's just, it's a funny thing. But it's funny until you realize that some of these people are bringing drugs. Some of these people are smuggling human beings. And some of these people are causing death and destruction. I mean, destruction. And when I smuggle a wad of cocaine up my ass and then infiltrate that cocaine into Phoenix, Arizona, and then people die, Americans die from those drugs, you are a facilitator. You are just as guilty as the dope dealer selling it or the uh, drug maker making it in Mexico. So why is it not an issue and why, or it's an issue, but why are people so, uh, you know, divisive over the fact that that's the truth? I don't think there is any other truth. Anyways, I I think a lot of it is like people have the attitude of not my worry, not my problem. 100%. And, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it, I, yeah, it's difficult to even like put your, like wrap your head around it because we have a border patrol. We have this entity in place but it's just so it's just the borders i mean it's just yeah the, the gover- area of land is just massive the government is shut down i don't know if they're still shut down they're still shut down right i think so yeah. the government is shut down over the proposal of the budget of how much the wall will cost so the democrats are fighting against the republicans and they're saying and just so i'll let you guys know i'm an independent i've always been uh, i i've actually voted republican once but i'm an independent meaning that uh, I have my own line of political um, thoughts and ideas, and it's not affiliated with a party. So um, when you look at what's happening, there's a proposed bill that they can't pass, so the government shut down, and part of that bill includes, I believe it's $5 billion that they want to spend on the wall build, but the Democrats are fighting it. And so my whole thinking is, now you don't want a wall, but... What do you want? What like if I propose to, to somebody, if I if I if I have a solution to the problem, and the problem is I have a I have a ranch and there there's wolves crossing my gate and killing my cattle, and I propose a solution, then we have to negotiate a way to figure out what the solution is. But there's only so many proposed solutions that work to stop the wolves from crossing the fence. So the most common sense one is you have a porous border because there's no wall. There's no definitive line that can be manned and patrolled with cameras and men and women to protect that border. So you have to build a wall. But now it's like a political issue. It's this big shit storm. Dude, I swear to God, I wish I was like a trillionaire because I'd be like, you know what? I'll pay for the fucking wall <laughs> just so I can get this shit over with and you guys can get back to work and I can go to my national park I'll I'll build the damn wall. Oh, infuriating. Mm. Anyways, anyways. Um, so um one, I'm sipping on some black rifle coffee right now. If you didn't know it, we sell black rifle coffee in house. You guys and gals are welcome to stop by Philcraft HQ, um, where we sell a wide selection of black I'm staring at it right now, what black wide selection of black rifle coffee and their uh, new combat cocoa. And also they have the black powder, which is their instant coffee, which we use on camping trips all, all, all the time. 
What's the discount code for that? Philcraft 20. Yeah, Philcraft 20. If you're going to go through the uh, um, the Black Rifle Coffee website, um, but we sell it here in our store. We're the only uh, business that sells it in Prescott, Arizona. That's pretty fancy. So, I mean, that's <laughs> brag a little bit. You know? <laughs> Humble brag, I guess. No big deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you're interested in stopping by, stop by the shop and buy some uh, Black Rifle Coffee. Philcraft 20 saves you 20% on blackriflecoffee.com. Hey, so 2019 is a big effing year for us. It's a big effing year. One, it's like we're, we're, we, you know, we planted the flag. We dropped the anchor. This is it, man. And we have a lot of stuff that's going on. One, you know, we've been talking about this morning. One, we're going to bring more sustainable, renewable survival talk. I mean, there's so many things that you could do, but, you know, starting with the EDC, starting with everyday mobility, building up your go rig, and then what's next? Uh, it's building up your, your household. Yeah. You know? It's uh, your basically taking your, you know, we're going to talk about canning, uh, you know, canning your food. We're not saying you don't have to grow it if you don't have that time to grow it, but you go to the store, the grocery store or farmer's market, wherever you go, you buy those tomatoes, you buy, you know, whatever it is, peaches, whatever, and you preserve know, it, preserve it and keep it, you know, and just in case you need it. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, cold weather considerations. In fact, this this week's EMP week, it's all EMP. I'm going to be inundating you with uh, blogs, with talk about it, with considerations, things that you could do. Uh, but next week's cold weather. I mean, we're getting a January, February time frame where I'm driving to Canada in the middle of January. And last night, man, I got I went outside and dude, yeah. I, it was the coldest I've ever felt. It was freezing it, last night. Freezing. And you're cold. just and you're driving north, so it's always gonna do is get colder. Yeah, it's like how do you survive? I mean, some of the considerations that we always talk about in bushcraft survival was you gotta know how to make fire. Well, that's that's a consideration. What if you're in your vehicle? What if you're driving across the country in a rural area, you break down, and you have your vehicle as as a element to survival, but you're stuck. You're in the middle of nowhere. How are you going to survive? Well, on this Go Rig Challenge, I'm going to tell you how to do it because you know George is going to be talking about it next week. We're going to do a podcast on it next week. But the bottom line is you have to come up with a deliberate plan, You know, whether that's uh, space blankets, wool blankets, portable heat source that's battery powered hand um, warmers hand warmers fire starters the list goes on also we're going to be talking about uh hunting hunter's education which we mentioned before food uh sustainment you know we just got an account with uh, mountain house you know we want to start pushing uh sustainability renewable energy solar panels you know educational uh, forms and content on how to set up solar panels in your vehicle, in your house, wind power. How many of you guys live in windy ass areas, the San Francisco Bay Area, but utilize wind? Ne- nobody utilizes wind. So, what are the considerations for setting yourself up for success? Even as a contingency, you don't have to have your house built out that way, but why would you not have that in store just in case the worst uh, case scenario smashes uh, your area? I mean, dude, an earthquake, tsunami, an EMP, hell, an electric outage in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're fucked. You better you better figure out a way to unfuck yourself really fast. Um, 2019 also is bringing a couple new courses, Go Rig, Go Rigs and Rifles. Go Rigs and Rifles is a one-day course where you start off in the morning, 
You get a couple blocks of instruction on living and sustaining life outside of your or in your vehicle, outside of your vehicle, in the proximity of your vehicle. Also, overlanding and off-roading. And then you get a block of instruction on how to fight from your platform. You know, there's a your your vehicle platform, your go rig is your immediate go-to for mobility out of a bad situation. Well, do you know how to fight from it? Do you know what considerations uh, to look for when building out your go rig? Uh, the more I've gotten into um, overlanding and off-roading, the more I feel like the industry is heading in the wrong direction. And I, maybe that's a bold statement, but let me tell you why. Our American way of doing things is let's do more. More equals uh, a better solution. So we pile shit on. Steel bumpers, rooftop tent, the biggest drawer system, the biggest refrigerator, and as much shit as I could pack out in my vehicle. Well, when you exceed that gross weight capability, you're already um, compromising your survival because now it's not as reliable. You don't get as good gas mileage, which is a huge consideration in a survival situation, and you've compromised the integrity of how that vehicle operates. So what is my philosophy? Less is more for 2019. How many times in Afghanistan, George, have we been rolling around and you're like in this high speed, general dynamic, Humvee, GM, GMV, Land Rover, all these Gucci ass vehicles and a small Toyota Corolla passes you? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We're cumbersome. We're, we're heavy. We're bulky. A jingle truck. Yeah. There's, we, yeah. We'd carried so much fuel ammo, you know, your rucksack, if you even, you know, whatever you have in there. I mean, it's a lot of weight, a lot of stuff when, yeah, when a jingle truck passes you or a Corolla and they're just hauling ass, it's just kind of like, you're like, oh, well, you don't, maybe you don't need that much shit. And, and so I, my whole philosophy is in 2019 is less is more and taking the same approach that we took in reconnaissance, you know, the, you know, what I talked about last time is, you know, you have to optimize and every ounce counts when you're when you're hiking because you're living off your back. So I want everything to be low vis. I want everything to be reduced signature. I want everything to be efficient and optimized. And I'm going to be a big fan of aluminum options in the future. Um, I have a Land Rover and Land Rover in South Africa and Australia are, and everywhere in the US or in the world they are is big on aluminum because you can't weigh those damn things down. If you are, it's a weight that you can't change, like fuel, like water. Uh, you're not going to get away from that. But um, having it, you know, loaded down to the brim with all these comfort creature or creature comforts, um, just to me isn't acceptable anymore. Like rooftop tents, I was a fan because I was like, I want to be comfortable, but they're not really that damn comfortable. You know, when you when you uh, when I went to Yellowstone last year or earlier this year. I froze my ass off in that rooftop tent. And then I'm like, why do we even have a rooftop tent? Why don't I just set up the shop where I could put it inside and insulate, maybe use mylar or use some kind of uh, liner for the inside of the windows that I could portably put up with Velcro mm -hmm. and then sleep in the cab where it's, where it's insulated because a rooftop tent is not insulated. Oh, it's cold. And then extra hundreds of pounds on top of your, uh, on top of your rig. Less is more this, this year, uh, 100%. Um, what else we got going on, George? We have, uh, in just a month in January, we Ooh, have talk about rough rider. Oh yeah. Uh, February, uh, the 
President's Day weekend, we are the head. This was a head sponsor, title sponsor, title yeah. sponsor of the Rough Riders 100. It's a motocross race where they, uh, where all the top number one racers from around the country are invited to come take part in uh, the Rough Rider 100. So we are the title sponsor. We'll be out there um, in Prescott. Um, um, and right now, we're just in the beginning stages of planning, so it's going to be epic. We're going to have all the crew out there. We're going to be uh, selling food, too. selling food. We're going to be selling our our, our, our goods and services, and uh, we'll also be kind of leading, uh, I guess, all the race things like on stage, giving out the awards. And you they know. said we're the we're the grand mass. Was it the grand? The Ma- Grand Master? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they said the, the Grand Master. That's a Kung Fu thing. The, the MCs. Yeah. The they MC. said we're the MCs of the whole thing. Exactly. I was like, oh, so. sweet. That's badass. So that's a two-day event. Actually, it's three days. Three Fr- days, yeah. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll be out there the whole time. The whole crew will be out there. Um, come by, swing by, and say what's up. Hats, T-shirts. It's like $10 entry fee. It's not big. It's not a big deal. Yeah, enjoy the races. They're going to do all races. kind of races. and There's going to be like, I think kids from four to five years old racing. So, I mean, I've never seen that. So I would, you know. That would be funny. I want to see what that <laughs> looks ass like. Big-ass helmets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they have, and they work up to this really cool enduro-type race where they're going over different obstacles, and it's going to be a good time, man. I'm looking forward to that. Um, outside of that, um, talking to North American Rescue, you know, if you guys don't know, we sell a lot of medical-type kits, a hunter medical trauma kit, a vehicle trauma kit, an enhanced response kit, and now we have a BHRK kit, which is a small stop the bleed kit. We we wanted to make this with minimalist or minimalism in mind, and we're talking to a company now, uh, Arbor Arms, which we're working with locally. That are, we're going to come up with creative solutions to carry that on your overt belt, on your visor, on uh, the back of your um, go bag panel to be able to carry your BHRK, your uh, stop the bleed kit with your tourniquet. Also working with another company on uh, making and redesigning a new outside the waistband tourniquet holster because, you know, it's it hasn't been redone. Eleven Ten kind of owns the market, but we want to. There's plenty of market share out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you go go to the grocery store and, and go down the bread aisle, how many people are selling bread? Why can't we sell our tourniquet holsters? We so. should do Philcraft bread mm. with poppy seeds. Tasty uh, hummus inside of it, so you eat it and hummus oh. like oozes out. Cheese inside. Mm, cheese inside. Cheesy bread. <laughs> um, also, uh, what we're doing is we're trying to get an Overland Expo. That might, might, may or may not happen, but we do have the soft preparation course in February, February 1 through 3. Look, we always have Philcraft Survival Fit. If you're interested in special operations preparation, I mentor a lot of young men and women who want to be in the military. We have a U.S. Army link on my story highlights at Mike.A.Glover on Instagram where you can go and get more information on the U.S. Army. We also have a podcast coming out next week uh, from the U.S. Army. So if you're interested in getting more information on serving your country, please hit us up. But we have a preparation course called the Special Operations Prep Course, which is a PDF. It's a 12-week program that gets you set up to be able to attend our Special Operations Prep Course. It's not a prerequisite, but it benefits you. And then when you show up, uh, you're going to get a little small experience, a sliver of experience of special operations uh, selection and assessment type courses like BUDS, like MARSOC, like special forces assessment selection, et cetera. Uh, also, when you do order that uh, workout program, you get the selected DVD volume one, 
to just kind of prepare you, get your mind right, uh, get that mindset of what you're going to ex- be expected of and, you know, how to take care of your feet during rucks. Also, and then also there was, I had a uh, email from, uh, I'm not going to say the name because he's a 15 year old kid is coming to the soft prep course. Uh, his email was very motivating on what he wanted to do with his, his uh, military career. And he's already, he's only 15 years old. So when I get things like that, it makes me happy that, you know, there's still people out there that are excited to serve their country and, you know, and make a difference in, in the military. So hopefully this kid uh, shows up and uh, we'll put him to the rigors of, uh, you know, for the, for the three day course we have. Yeah. It's a learning experience too. I get a lot of questions like, Hey, do I have to be physically prepared to the max? It's like, no, you know, it may, a lot of it is made so you could learn from the process. You know, we're going to teach you how to prepare your feet, teach you how to pack your ruck, teach you how to ruck, teach you the army physical fitness uh, test, teach you mindset, even teach you special operations, task organization and unit unit structure. Cause a lot of people don't know that stuff. Yeah. And then one of the most important things we teach is that, that teamwork working well with the team, because a lot of selections that you go to, um, there's a lot of team events. And if you can't work well with others, you're not probably not going to get picked up because someone's going to see your attitude. Because so. you're a shitbag. Don't be a shitbag. <laughs> it's mainly to teach you how to not to be a shitbag. Exactly. Don't um, be that guy. Don't be that guy. There's always that guy. Hey, also, um, we will be represented at SHOT Show. Uh, Mason's going to go hang out with Truck Vault. Gunfoo Fighter. At Gunfoo Fighter on Instagram. Also, Mike Hernandez might be showing up. Mike underscore Team Philcraft, and so will Travis underscore Team Philcraft. And that reminds me, I got to get lodging for those guys. Remind me. Yeah. Um, but those guys will be out representing Philcraft, but they have a whole bunch of the stuff going on. Like Mason's teaching a med um, uh, slash tactical consideration course with Truck Vault. Make sure you guys check them out. And speaking of Truck Vault, on another. Uh, version of that boss strongbox we're sponsored by boss strongbox's podcast is i'm actually talking to ryan from boss strongbox they actually volunteered and allowed us to open resource better solutions for overland uh setups um for drawer systems look i've ran a lot of drawer systems truck vault stands alone in their um their drawer system for law enforcement for uh, military pra- uh, practitioners for locking up and storing guns. I use it when I go to the uh, gunfighter pistol and carbine course. The uh, next one's January 12th and 11th in Sirius, California. Um, I use that. But there needs to be a lighter weight version. So Bostron Box, like, let's, let's, you know, let's combine our minds. They have the engineering. They have the people to prototype, to build. And let's come up with a better solution. So we're working through that right now with Bostron Box. If you guys are interested, we got a coupon code for box strong oh box. yeah uh, the coupon code so the coupon code is for 25 percent off any box strong box and just uh use the promo code fieldcraft and you'll get 25 percent off that's good stuff also uh this year we'll be uh focusing on overland experiences outside of real education i mean uh, the education will come in the experience so i'm gonna i'm i'm scheduling two major road trips uh, that are for the tribe only. So if you haven't become a tribe member, we have monthly and annual options for 2019. So you can become a tribe on philcraftsurvival.com on the main page, on the homepage. And I'll, I'm going to open up a overland experience, meaning it's just going to be the guys from Philcraft uh, going out with members of the tribe who are interested in going. Um, and we're going to go on an overland trip together. You know, we'll hit up, uh, we'll do one maybe in Oregon, around the the Oregon Pacific Northwest area, and then maybe hit the East Coast for the other one. But also, we have expos. We have two expos every year, spring and fall. And if you're a, a Philcraft tribe member, 
you get to uh, come to those, and uh, you get to come to those for absolutely uh, no cost. And those typically are in conjunction with charity events. This last uh, charity event, we supported uh, Labs for Liberty, which supports first responders and military and civilians with uh, service animals. Yeah. And so we raised uh, a lot of money for them this year. And a uh, big shout out to uh, Labs for Liberty. And, and we Joe. had a great turnout for this last expo. We had, uh, you know, we had the uh, bid on some of uh, the, the boxes for the uh, raffles. And some of the boxes were pretty robust with the equipment they had in there. So, I mean, everyone had a good time and, you know, you're able to win some cool stuff. So one guy won two of them, didn't he? Yeah, that fucker won two. How, <laughs> how the fuck is that? I don't know. Um, yeah, we had some good boxes. SD Tactical with a local business. Uh, Daryl and his wife uh, came out to support it. Thank you for showing up. And uh, yeah, it was a good time, man. 2018 ended off 2018 on a, on a high note. So let, let's talk a little bit about 2019. What what are your New Year resolutions, man? What do you got? You know, my New Year resolution is just continue what I'm doing, but at the same time, get more organized, get more um, educated on on certain things. I know uh, I first started out here in, back in October, which I started out running the e- e-commerce part of the uh, house with the you know logistics and you know all the you know the online store. Then uh, we had uh, Kurt left the company, and then I had to move into his role. So learning this stuff and uh has been a not a challenge but it's it's new so i want to educate myself a little better and i want to read more that's one of my uh, ever, uh resolutions is read more and educate myself more on uh you know my job actually so yeah it's a different practice right being a civilian in the business entrepreneurial space is a lot different than being mm-hmm. in the military but the coolest thing is we have the opportunity we're afforded the time and opportunity to be able to you know, learn processes and apply things that we haven't done in the past. I mean, sometimes it's beneficial to have a past like we have applying it, but sometimes we have to start from scratch. Exactly. Um, yeah, I got some New Year's resolutions as well, but, you know, my, my big thing is for the masses. Uh, one, let me address Kurt leaving. Uh, Kurt did leave because of personal issues. A lot of people have been speculating, asking questions and stuff, which you should. Uh, whether or not Kurt left on good terms. Kurt did leave on good terms. Kurt made a personal decision based on his personal life uh, that he needed to move on. He felt he was a distraction because of his personal uh, things that were going on in his life, and there's no no beef in that. I mean, look, I, I've known Kurt for, for uh, over a decade, and he's a friend. He'll always be a friend. He's a friend of Philcraft Survival. He's a friend of George. He's a friend of all of us, and we wish him the best of luck. You know, he's always got a, a family and friends in us, He's just doing something different. And uh, it's, you know, to an extent, it's none of my fucking business uh, yeah. what Kurt does. Uh, but we had a talk and he said he wanted to pursue some other things based on things that were going on in his life. And uh, we supported that decision. So, you know, no harm, no foul. There's no beef there. Uh, I love him like a brother. Um, so, yeah, you know, when, when you're looking at uh, kind of setting yourself up for success in 2019, I, I say it as a, a mass message because I, I feel like, my um, uh, my New Year's resolutions uh, are general. I never have specific New Year's resolutions. One, I want to be better prepared. I want to be better educated. There's a whole bunch of things that happen in our daily lives that don't fucking matter. Uh, one of the th- one of the best decisions I made in 2018 as a resolution is not tolerating toxicity from anybody. Meaning, if I have anybody in my life who's a toxic uh, uh, void and they're creating that void by being toxic. I I don't want to deal with that. 
I mean, I, I look, at, you know, I am the lump sum. I am the average of the five people that I surround myself with that are closest to my inner circle. I am that average. So those five people that I surround myself with need to be squared away. They need to be an asset. And I'm, I make mistakes. I've made a shit ton of mistakes in 2018 and the rest of my life. But I live by those mistakes, meaning if I make them, I'm not making the same mistake twice. I have people who I'm surrounded with that aren't afraid to tell me that I'm fucking up, and that's what I want to maintain. So in 2019, when I look forward, I want to get out of the complacent mindset that I feel like I've been living in, meaning if I'm on my phone for an extended period of time, I want to, I want to be self-disciplined enough to realize that, self-aware aware enough to realize that, and put my phone down and experience life in the now. I want to be more comfortable with being in my own skin in the moment. I don't want to be looking forward and looking back and dwelling. And sometimes that's a daily process of breathing, of, of meditation, of yoga, of working out, of eating right, uh, that helps that, and it's a struggle. But I always want to keep that on the forefront of my mind. I want to have enough self-awareness to realize that I'm complacent in a lot of different things. My own. I, I teach survival, modern survival for a living. And I find myself being complacent because I'm like, I'm too lazy to pick up my gun and press check it and put it in my waistband. Why the fuck would you do that? Why would you risk that? I'm too lazy to uh, check my everyday mobility go bag and make sure I have med shit. I'm too lazy to go out and hit the trail and, and make sure that I have the right equipment at the right time. So in 2019, it's about self-analyzing and self-checking myself and holding myself accountable. Also in 2019, I want to push more education for myself and for others and things that I'm passionate about, but things that I think are important in survival. Hunting. I want to teach people how to hunt. I want to teach them from the, the beginning how to hunt, how to get a tag, how to source, how to, how to skin, how to harvest, and the entire experience. I want to teach people how to grow food. I want to teach people how to uh, um, pick food, to know what food is the right food, mushrooms, uh, edibles, forage. I want to teach you guys how to forage. I want to teach you to do uh, bushcraft. I'm not an expert in all, any of these things, but I will find the experts. I will uh, get them on podcasts, get them in content, and then educate you while I educate myself at the same time. So yeah, I'm... You know, I'm just, I, I still have the same standards for 2019. I just want to step it up for Philcraft Survival, all those things and more. And I'm just looking forward to the new year, man. It's just a, a new year to redefine um, and, and recheck uh, a lot of the ways that we live. You know, I, I got a gun full of, uh, or a safe full of guns that I don't fucking need. So I want to sell them and get the shit that I do need. Yep. You know, um, minimalize. I'd love to get some land this year and get a tiny home on it um, and min minimize all the bullshit that I have in my life. Oh, we have a ton of stuff here. We need to go on. We should have a garage. I mean, I'm, a garage I'm thinking sale. we have a garage sale here at the, at the company once the weather you know, lifts up a little bit, gets a little nice out. Do a Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, and just set up and just let other people enjoy this stuff that we're not using. We do have a free seminar January 5th. January 5th. Uh, at 9 o'clock a.m. here at Philcraft HQ. That is the first one that I'm actually going to videotape in its entirety and then uh, put up for everybody who's interested. I know the Philcraft Survival Seminars are uh, kind of uh, few and far between. We do them every once in a while, but I want to be able to put it up online so 
Uh, stay tuned for that. I'm also going to mic myself so I could put it on as part of a podcast, would be, which would be interesting. Oh, that'd be good. That'd be cool. Well, that's all I got, man. It was a it was a good year, and leading into this year, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah, great year. I think 2019, this is it. I mean, we've got to hustle and just create that content, that education for everybody, and keep the business going, keep it growing, and get some more uh, relationships here and some more businesses, and let's make it happen, you know? Yep. If you're interested in uh, this podcast and you like what we're talking about and uh, you're interested interested in supporting us, we do have a Venmo specifically for this podcast is at Fieldcraft, at Fieldcraft, one word. And you know any donations help for this uh, podcast because it allows us to uh, get guests in here, allows us to get better equipment, get better content, and it's all for you guys. Also, um, I just plugged a, a opportunity for myself to do a book. I'm not going to plug it on this podcast, but I'm going to be writing my first book on leadership, which is uh, really uh, uh, interesting to me because uh, it's difficult to get a book book published in the United States and um, get a publisher. The whole process is a pain in the ass, but for the first time, I realized that I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to self-publish, so look forward to that as well. You got any last shout-outs? Um Oh, I'm going to give a shout out to my uh, daughter, Lily. She'll be five years old on January 5th. Happy birthday, Lily. Happy birthday. Your dad will be working, but happy oh, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, you'll be working. I know. Right. Okay. I'll be here. Okay. I'm always checking. here. I'll just check in. All right, guys, that's it, man. Um, here's the 2019. Let's crush this shit together. Let's educate each other. Um, let's have a good year. Happy New Year, everybody. Stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alive.